Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Saturday, October 22nd, 2022. It's been 3,159 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 240 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. A quick errors and omissions before we get to the news. On yesterday's episode, I said that it was October 10th. It was not October 10th. It was, in fact, October 21st. Thank you for your understanding. Now that that's out of the way, let's get started with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess that Russian forces in Belarus have become a credible threat— and that an invasion of western Ukraine is increasingly likely in the next 45 to 75 days. Second, multiple analysts and military intelligence organizations reinforced our assessment that Russian troops are starting to withdraw from Kherson. Third, regrettably, our assessment that Russian terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure will continue throughout the week was accurate with the second massive nationwide missile and drone attack targeting electrical power generation infrastructure. Fourth, we assess that Russia will continue to attack electrical generation services until they have been obliterated nationwide, risking multiple major nuclear accidents when Ukraine's power plants will be forced into island mode to sustain cooling. Fifth, We maintain that the Russian mobilization of up to 300,000 troops will have little impact on the battlefield due to poor morale and discipline and a lack of equipment among MOBICs. The ongoing terror attacks support that Russia's military strategy in Ukraine has failed. Sixth, we maintain that Ukraine still holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. And finally, We assess the threat of tactical nuclear weapons being used on the battlefield has become extremely remote. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, relaxed its media blackout in the Kherson Oblast. The update to our war map was part of our weekly housekeeping to retire old data, and does not reflect any changes to the line of conflict. The Institute for the Study of War, or ISW, and the Cavell Group reported that Russian forces are withdrawing from Kherson, reinforcing our assessment from yesterday, which was definitely October 21st. The GSAFU reported that Russian artillery units fired on the settlements of Novorednieve, Davri Brid, and Novovoskresensk. 
The GSAFU also reported that Mirn was shelled. However, there are three Mirns within range of Russian artillery, and they didn't specify which one was attacked. Unfortunately, due to poor weather, the NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRM's data, was unavailable. So at this point, your guess is as good as ours. Russian telegram channels reported both successes and failures on the battlefield. We'll only provide a general assessment based on available data through social intelligence. Ukrainian forces appeared to have a failed advance, with five armored vehicles destroyed by artillery fire and two T-72M1 tanks captured. A graphic video, possibly of the aftermath, showed Chechen forces examining the destroyed Ukrainian equipment. Russian telegram channels reported that Ukrainian forces made gains by liberating two settlements on the northern front near Davidi Brid. We are not, however, prepared to share this information because there were no pictures or videos to support the reports, and honestly, one of the claims seems too good to be true. Quick editor's note here, we would rather be right versus being first. Several pictures and videos showed that Ukrainian forces had recently captured MLRS vehicles and artillery pieces. The capture of intact artillery systems indicates that Ukrainian forces broke through Russian lines and reached the rear echelon in at least one location. Troops with the Georgian Legion shared a video of a captured Russian T-90A tank earlier in the week. Russian helicopters attacked Ukrainian positions in Novokamyanka and Trifonivka, providing insight that Russian forces had not advanced into the area. An Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 Kamikaze drone from Iran attacked Ukrainian positions in Shevchenkivka on the T-403 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, it's like a supply line, with Operational Command South, or OCS, reporting there were no casualties. Additionally, an S-300 anti-aircraft missile used for a ground attack struck Kreshchenivka but did not cause any damage. Along the Inulets River, the town of Velika Oleksandrivka officially ended its Ukrainian military occupation, and control was handed over to the Border Guard Service and local police. It's been a while since Russian sources have failed OPSEC, that's operational security, but Russian state media came in clutch today. When the sun rose over Kherson, a significant chunk of the barge bridge completed on October 16th was missing. Russian state media showed that a section had been sunk in the attack and shared ferry operations next to the bridge. Russian sources walked back their claims of 12 civilians killed in a rocket attack fired by HIMARS on the pontoon bridge built in Kherson. They now claim one to four people were killed, including one or two Russian journalists. Reports that an M31 fragmentation warhead hit the bridge crossing appear to be false, with the video evidence provided by Russian sources showing damage consistent with an M30HE warhead. Oleg Klokov, a former employee of Russia Today who arrived in Kherson in early October to create a new Russian-speaking news channel, was killed in the attack. Rastam Avdiev, who works with Suspilne Kherson, the equivalent of the United States public broadcasting system, reported that the van Klokov was driving was from the Kherson studio. On Telegram, he claimed that the contents in the back of the van had come from his office and were being stolen as Klokov waited to flee Kherson. The Antonovsky Bridge was attacked again overnight while the civilian curfew was in place. 
Insurgents hung a Ukrainian flag in Kherson on a railroad bridge south of the Korobelnyi district, just seven kilometers from the city center. OCS reported 10 airstrikes by the Ukrainian Air Force, and ground forces carried out 220 fire missions. Vital Yikim, Mykolaiv Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that a Russian Su-25 was shot down. Kim, a man of few words, said, quote, it flew above the wrong turf, end quote. Ukrainian forces conducted suppress and destroy enemy air defense activity, hitting Russian air defenses in Bereslav, Kherson, and Novokhovka. Pictures on social media showed a Russian Pantsir S-1 anti-aircraft system destroyed. Three ammunition depots in the Bereslav rayon were also destroyed. Ukrainian air defenses in Mykolaiv are seriously dialed in, shooting down 10 Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 drones during the overnight hours. There were no impacts reported in the city. Let's move on to Dnipropetrovsk and northern Zaporizhia. There was no change in the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, and there was no update on the three kidnapped Enerhoatam employees or progress on creating a demilitarized zone around the plant. Russian forces attacked civilians and civilian infrastructure in Nikopol and Markhanets using Grad rockets fired by MLRS. There were no injuries, but the attack caused two fires and damaged more than 20 buildings. Natural gas and electrical service have been knocked out to more than a thousand homes. Now to the Donbass region, starting with southern Zaporizhia, where there wasn't any significant fighting reported. Though Russian mill bloggers continue to insist Ukraine is preparing to launch a large offensive from Orihiv. On to southwest Donetsk. Starting with the Donetsk People's Republic or DNR Militia Public Relations Channel version of the Five O'Clock Follies, where officials claimed their forces destroyed a self-propelled 152mm howitzer and three tanks without evidence of any kind. Ukrainian forces carried out 120 fire missions on the occupied territory. Elements of the 1st Army Corps of the DNR attacked Novokalinove and were unsuccessful. In our assessment, DNR troops are attempting to flank the stronghold of Krasnohorivka, which is on a plateau and surrounded by water obstacles. We've adjusted the map based on the repeated attack and coded Novobakhmutivka as contested. The GSAFU reported an attack by the DNR on Pervomaiske, which I guess has become habit at this point after three months. The attack was repelled. A fun fact, it has been 90 days since Russian troops first attacked Piski. Russian sources reported an attack on Ukrainian positions in Pobida and did not indicate whether or not it was successful. Assessment here. Earlier in the month, it was reported that the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, had ordered some units, including in Donetsk, to stand down because they were combat destroyed, and there was a severe issue with desertion and refuseniks. Our analyst team reported that DNR troops were being redeployed from the Avdivka area to other locations to shore up collapsing units in Kherson, Zaporizhia, and south of Bakhmut. These two factors have combined to cause a significant slowdown in operational tempo. On top of that, the reallocation of D-20 artillery pieces back to regular Russian units 
has taken away the artillery advantage that the DNR had, particularly around Avdiivka in late July and August. Ukrainian forces targeted electrical substations in the city of Donetsk, knocking out electrical service to 1,150 households. In northeast Donetsk, fighting continued east of Solidar, with Russian forces trying to regain lost territory. Russian artillery units pounded Bakhmutske, carpeting almost every square meter of the town. The settlement, which is between Solidar and Bakhmut, has been under continuous attack for 83 days, with Russian forces having a toehold in the northern corner. Russian proxy forces tried to advance on Ivanhrad and Osarianivka, southeast of Bakhmut, and were unsuccessful. Ukrainian forces recaptured Odradivka in ferocious and bloody fighting. The GSAFU reported an attack on Liman was repelled. There are no indications that Russian forces have advanced west of the Zherebets River, so this was likely a special operations force, or SOF, or DRG unit doing reconnaissance or attempting sabotage. Quick sidebar here: DRG is a term used by Ukrainian and Russian sources. It's an abbreviation for sabotage, reconnaissance, and intelligence groups. In Luhansk, Ukrainian forces have entered Zolotarivka and successfully fought off a Russian counterattack. Ukraine now controls the high ground of Bilohorivka, Zolotarivka, and Verkhnokamyanskia. Controlling these ridges will add pressure to the Luhansk People's Republic or LNR militia that is defending the Verkhnokamyanka oil refinery and enable Ukraine to use indirect fire on the plant. And the G-locks, remember, those are supply lines from Lysychansk, making troop movements for Russian forces challenging. While we're on the subject of Bilohorivka, Russian forces attacked the town and were unsuccessful. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you to support independent journalism. Please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on Patreon.com at Malcontent News. Moving on to the Kharkiv region, where Russian forces launched a spoiling attack on Ternova, northeast of Kharkiv. At the time of recording, fighting was still ongoing. That's actually all we've got to report in Kharkiv. So moving on to the Cherniv and Sumy region. Russian missiles were launched at Cherniv, with residents reporting the sound of explosions. Preliminary information indicated that the missiles were intercepted. The electrical grid was damaged again due to strikes in other regions, as Russia launched another wave of widespread attacks on Ukrainian utilities, including water, sewer, and electricity. Due to damage in other regions, Ukrainerko announced that rolling blackouts were being implemented across the oblast. Dmitry Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported the Hromadas of Krasnopilia and Khotin were shelled by mortars fired from across the international border. There was also a border skirmish near Khotin, with territorial guard and Russian troops exchanging small arms fire. No damage or casualties were reported. In the Kiev region, both Kiev Oblast and the city came under a massive attack by Russian cruise missiles. Initial reports indicate that air defenses successfully defended the city. The debris of one missile crashed in a forested area on the city's edge. Due to other successful attacks across Ukraine, power was out in Kiev and across the oblast. 
In the Black Sea, Crimea, and Odessa region, Russia once again targeted energy infrastructure. A Russian cruise missile was shot down over Odessa by the Ukrainian Air Force, though a second missile hit electrical infrastructure, knocking out power in several towns. There is an unconfirmed report at the time of recording that three civilians were killed in the attack. Russian cruise missiles also attacked multiple areas in western and central Ukraine. Missiles were successfully intercepted over Lviv and Chernivtsi, while other regions weren't so lucky. The city of Khmelnytsky was hit by at least one cruise missile, knocking out electrical, water, and sewer services. Local officials urged residents to stock up with water while water pressure was still available in the system. At least one cruise missile struck Rivne, knocking out power to at least half of the city. In the Volyn Oblast, the cities of Lutsk and Koval were hit by cruise missiles. Power was out in both cities and, reportedly, most of the region. One civilian in Lutsk was badly burned as a result of the attack. In the Kirovrad Oblast, Russian cruise missiles destroyed electrical infrastructure in Kropivnitsky and Kholovanivsk. Widespread power outages were reported after the attack. On the Russian front in Shebikino, a large fire broke out at a paint and varnish factory. Vyacheslav Gladkov, the governor of Bilgorod Oblast, claims the fire was caused by Ukrainian shelling and, as a result, an electrical substation was damaged. The fire reportedly knocked out power and water service. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky held another meeting of the Supreme Commander. Zelensky said after the meeting, quote, The main items on the agenda are quite obvious. Protection of our skies from enemy missiles and drones, protection of our public utilities, destruction of the occupiers' positions, advancement of our forces, and everything necessary to support the army. The military, intelligence, and ministers were reporting. End quote. Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu and United States Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin talked over the phone about a number of, quote, security issues, including Ukraine. It was the first time they had talked directly since May 13th. The Pentagon reported that Austin stressed the importance and need for continued direct communication in the, quote, face of the ongoing war in Ukraine, end quote. Okay, assessment here. The two military leaders directly talking was a very positive development, and we assess the world has pulled back from the mutually assured destruction instability paradox. United States Congresspersons Mike Turner, Jim Himes, and Eric Swalwell were in Kyiv and met with President Zelensky. The visit was made to see the impact of Russian terror attacks firsthand and to advocate for more military and financial aid for Ukraine. Discussions included how to improve Ukrainian air defenses. It was unclear at the time of recording if the U.S. representatives were in Ukraine during yesterday's terror attacks. Ukraine received four TRML-4D radars for the IRST defense system from Germany. Each radar can detect and track up to 1,500 targets simultaneously, up to 250 kilometers away. Belarus transferred 24 more T-72A tanks to the Russian Federation. The tanks were inactive and were removed from storage for transport. At this point, Russia has taken almost 100 tanks from Belarus to transfer to its military. 
There was major military activity involving NATO surveillance aircraft with fighter support over the Mediterranean. Israeli aircraft launched an airstrike near Damascus, Syria, and reportedly destroyed a, quote, major Iranian weapons shipment, end quote. Israel is reportedly engaged in a widening shadow war with Iran and has been striking targets in Syria to deter weapons shipments. United States Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell vowed to continue to support Ukraine with military aid, even if a Republican-led House under Congressperson Kevin McCarthy moves to block additional aid in the future. The Kentucky Republican said in a statement, quote, The Biden administration and our allies need to do more to supply the tools Ukraine needs to thwart Russian aggression. It is obvious this must include additional air defenses, long-range fires, and humanitarian and economic support to help this war-torn country endure the coming winter. End quote. McConnell's statement was before the renewed attacks on Ukraine's energy infrastructure. Speaking of aggression, let's talk about Russian mobilization. Russia's central bank reported that mobilization and an ongoing brain drain from people fleeing the nation had hit the economy. The latest report said mobilization had created new challenges for production processes and output maintenance and was expected to, quote, negatively affect consumer and business confidence, end quote. Lieutenant Colonel Laskutov Yevgeny Ivanovich, commander of the 11th Guards Air Assault Brigade, was killed in action in Ukraine. Ivanovich was the 92nd lieutenant colonel killed in Ukraine and the 144th senior military officer killed since February 24th. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is minor graphic detail in today's report, but if you're sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. Ukrainian energy provider Ukrenerho reports that the morning attacks may have caused more damage than the attack on Ukrainian power plants on October 10th and 11th. Those attacks destroyed 30% of Ukraine's non-nuclear power plants. Rolling power outages were reported in Kyiv, Cherniev, Cherkasy, Zhitomyr, Sumy, Kharkiv, Poltava, Dnipropetrovsk, Zaporizhia, and Kerovrad oblasts plunging millions into darkness without water or sewer services. Colonel General and aspiring dentist Don Don Ramzan Kyadyrov released a video showing a lovely gift from his charming 16-year-old son. In a staged video highlighting the stolen valor of the junior Kyadyrov, Don Don was presented with three Ukrainian prisoners of war as a so-called gift. The short video is hard to watch, and in a word reprehensible. Not to be outdone, the DNR militia released a drone video of their forces taking a Ukrainian soldier prisoner. In the video, a Russian soldier fires their gun at the prone Ukrainian at point-blank range. No, wait, there is more, because the DNR militia released another what-were-they-thinking video. A propaganda video showed DNR 1st Army Corps Sparta and Somalia battalion members using drones to attack Ukrainian positions. The first video showed a mortar being dropped, but didn't show the impact of the shell. The second dropped an old-school hand grenade that completely missed the trench and didn't appear to injure anyone. 
You may be asking yourself, what is the problem? This sounds just like business as usual. The drone operator that targeted the Ukrainian trench and released the grenade was a reporter with War Gonzo. The DNR video editors didn't bother to blur out his identification, or they just didn't seem to think that showing a purported journalist actively engaged in combat operations was a bad idea. All right, you know what? Let's talk about this. This is, of course, assessment and probably also a rant. As a conflict reporter, you've lost your right as a journalist and the protections that come with it the moment you cross the line and become engaged in the conflict you're covering. Documented actions of a journalist engaged in combat add even more danger to every reporter and photographer worldwide covering civil and military conflict. These actions get real journalists arrested, tortured, wounded, and killed. It's even more infuriating as we have a documented history of defending war gonzo reporters who have been wounded and killed in Ukraine— and have repeatedly said both belligerents have a legal obligation to protect journalists. In doing this, the War Gonzo organization has painted a target on every one of its members in the field. War crimes investigators have identified the weapons Russian soldiers used to attack a civilian convoy in Kupiansk on September 25th. French experts found parts of 30 and 45 millimeter high explosive shells had torn the cars apart. They believe the vehicles that ambushed the convoy were BMP 2 and BRM 3K Reese vehicles. Pieces of the shells were found in 16 of 24 bodies. A 25th victim was able to crawl away from the attack, but the 75 year old woman died in the woods about 200 meters away. In liberated Kamyanka, a southern suburb of Izum, investigators are finding a horrific crime of a different type. Russian occupiers tortured the dogs owners had to leave behind when they fled the area, burning V's and Z's into their faces and bodies, causing permanent scarring. Despite the torture, the dogs demonstrated their unyielding capacity to forgive humans and approached animal welfare volunteers treating them. Okay deep breath. To help you breathe, there is a video of Zoriana Repetska, who was held in a Russian prisoner of war camp for five months, being reunited with her children for the first time since her release. We link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. Keep tissues nearby. Moving on to geopolitical news. In China, during the Congress of the Communist Party, Former President Hu Jintao was abruptly escorted out by two men, and he has reportedly disappeared since being taken away. It was unclear why he was removed, but China watchers believe there is political friction with Xi Jinping. In economic news, the ruble ended the week with a decline, with an exchange rate of 62 for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices were up slightly, with WTI crude rising to $85 a barrel, and Brent moving to $93. United States RBOB wholesale gasoline on the spot market was steady at $2.62 a gallon, or $0.70 cents a liter. EU-Dutch TTF natural gas futures were unchanged at €115 Euros per megawatt hour for November 2022 contracts. Chicago SRW wheat futures were also flat, 
inching up a few pennies to close the week at $8.48 per bushel for December 2022 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again on Monday for more updates, and don't forget to listen to David's Week in Review episode tomorrow. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.